Amen. Amen. Thanks, girls. Thanks so much. I'm not just saying thank you to Amber and thank you to Emily, but thank you to you for joining in worship. There's something beautiful. You know, I love to worship around my house and me and Jesus, but I love doing it with other people, right? I love having worship with other people. And I love doing it in a house, right? You know, this is the kind of stuff that should be flowing in our house all the time. Good stuff, good stuff. So how in the world is it Saturday night? I know. How does this happen so fast? Every year it just flies like, ah. Yeah. But we're not done yet. We've got still things to do. We've still got things that God wants to show us. I know that. And sometimes the best things come in the end, right? He saves the best for last. And so, you know what? I know a lot of you have heard from God this weekend. Uh, but God continues to pour out more. And I know if you're still waiting on a word from him, that um, he might give it to you in this, in this moment. He might give it to you tomorrow morning. He might give it to you tomorrow in your shower when you get at your house, right? When you go home. God speaks anywhere that our hearts are available and willing to listen. So we just keep, we just keep listening to him, right? So all weekend we have been sitting in Ephesians 1. And we've worked our way through verse by verse by verse by verse, right? And we've studied, and we've talked, and we've listened, and we've talked some more, and we've talked some more, and we've drawn and copied, and aren't your pictures just amazing? I love these, right? So give yourselves a hand. It's good stuff, good stuff. So we've done all these different things with Ephesians 1, and we finished, like we got through the last verse earlier today, so you might be wondering, okay, well, what are we going to do now? Because we've already gotten through Ephesians 1, right? But I want us to remember, the Word is alive, right? We said that on the first night. It's active. God can speak to me in a passage from his word today and then have something more from me tomorrow, right? Or even the next day or the next day. He can do that. He doesn't negate what he showed me in the first place, but he builds on it, right? He builds on it. His word is always speaking. And that's why tarrying in a passage, like staying in a passage for a while is good for us. It's meditation because it lays a foundation. And then God just keeps building and building and building on that. And then you begin to take ownership of that. Like you take possession of that, that section of scripture. You know that. You own that. And that doesn't mean that God won't bring you back to it again later and still speak some more. But God just does incredible things, I believe, when we tarry in a passage. So with that in mind, tonight we're going to go back to Ephesians 1 and we're going to really look at it as a whole because now you're very familiar with it as we've gone through it word by word. And what we're going to do is look at some descriptions of a filled up woman. Now I want you to note that since I have, have you know, planned this message with the Lord and gotten all these things down, I keep finding more. <laughs> But we're not going to go to more of them. But I just want you to know from the beginning, there are more in there. All right? And so I encourage you even beyond tonight to continue going back to that and letting God show you, uh, show you some things. Because here's the thing. You know, there's that whole thing of feelings. And most of us women know about feelings, right? We know about our emotions. We're quite aware of them. And good to feel filled up, right? And, and God gave us our emotions. I, I know for a long time, I, I had a lot of people in my life that kept trying to separate emotions from my relationship to God. Like, you know, that's just emotionalism, you know? God gave me these emotions, right? He gave them to me so that I would feel the height of love, 
and that I would feel the, the depths of the things that he wants. I mean, he gave us the emotions, and when they're managed well, they're good for God's good purposes. And so that's a great thing to feel filled up. He wants us to feel filled up. But we cannot always just evaluate whether or not we're a filled up woman by our feelings. Because that can take us in a lot of negative directions sometimes. So we want to look at our feelings. We certainly don't want to negate them. But we really want to evaluate ourselves and say, am I a filled up woman by looking at the word and seeing what the word says about that. So as we do this tonight, hopefully we'll get some glimpses of ourselves, right? We'll see, oh, wow, I am that filled up woman, right? And then maybe we'll see some places where, wow. I need to press in a little bit more and, and let God fill me in that way. And, and that is our prayer, right? And I know you know that prayer by now, right? Don't you know that prayer? We're going to pray it one more time. Actually, probably tomorrow morning too, but we'll pray it now. Okay, um, so let's pray that together. If you don't know it yet, you can read it. That's fine too. We just want to pray with a full heart, an open heart. I pray that Christ may dwell in my heart through faith. And that I, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that I may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So beautiful. And I, I pray that you're going to continue to pray that, right, for yourself for the people in your family, the people that you love. But for tonight, let's go to Ephesians 1, all right? I'm going to take this whole passage, or whole chapter as a whole. In your note page, I actually gave you the thing so you can just fill in the blank, right? Okay, how nice am I to do that? Cause this, yeah, actually, I should have done that earlier. And by the way, um, I never did leave that, uh, those notes up here for you, but I did screenshot them, and so remind me to do that after we're done, and, and I will do that if you want those, okay? So let's just talk about number one, and you can use your note page for that. And the very first one is she knows her address, okay? A filled-up woman knows her address. Now, I'm not talking about your house and your street number and your city and all of that. I'm talking about where you reside, right? As we have worked our way through Ephesians 1, we've talked about this several times. That phrase that's in there so many times, what is it? In him, right? We see it over and over again. It's everywhere. It's one of those things you see when you stay in a passage for a while, when you work your way through it word by word, when, when you're studying and, and processing through it and doing some of the things like you did last night with Bible Study 202 because you're paying attention to every word and you're like, didn't he just say that before? And then you go, oh, he said it here and he said it here and he said it here. In this chapter, Paul uses that phrase 13 times. So he's obviously trying to make a point. And I believe the point is all of this that he's talking about is only available in Christ. In Christ. In him. Now, sometimes language doesn't always transfer correctly when you're, when you're doing translation. And that's one of the main reasons we need to dig, right? We need to dig in deeper, like, like we did even last night. And I'm excited for a lot of you to have a tool now in your hands that you can use that app that I showed you. So, and I know some of you have already been doing that anyway. But for instance, when you look at this, this phrase in him, uh, right here in, in chapter one, we see that it's there 13 times, but nine of those times are translated from the same Greek phrase, in the Lord. Okay? In the Lord. 
And this phrase means sealed up inside the person of Jesus Christ. All right? Sealed up inside the person of Jesus Christ. So when Paul uses this phrase, what he's saying is we have been placed inside of Jesus. When we are in Christ, we are literally inside of him. He has become our realm of existence. He has become the place where um, we, we stay, where we live. Just like you have a certain physical address, and you, we all know what our address is, I hope you do, all right? Just like you have that, right? All right, you also have a spiritual address. And you may not have thought of it like that before, but Christ is your address. Christ is your home. You, if you are in Christ, you reside in the Lord. So he's your home. And that's a home from which you will never move because you are securely placed in him forever. You know, when you know where you live, and, and I know that we all do, then you know, okay, that's where I belong. Every one of us knows where we're going back to tomorrow, right? We know how to get there. We know that that's the place where we're going to be able to unwind and unpack our stuff and do our laundry and, and all of those different things. And we pretty much know how to get there from anywhere, unless you're really, really far away. And, and then you just plug it into your GPS, right? On your phone. You know how a lot of times they say today that our phones are literally becoming our brains? I mean, they think for us. There's some kind of setting on my phone. I don't even know how it got there. But when I get in my car, it automatically, this thing just, it like knows I'm in the car. And it, this thing just comes up and it says, 15 minutes to home, 7 minutes to home. And I'm like, how do you know where I live, you know? But it does. It knows where I live. There, there's like, it's instinctive in my phone. And that's a little scary, but, you know, but really that's instinctive inside of us too, right? Because we know where we live. It's programmed on the inside of us. And so we intrinsically know how to get there. We don't even think about it, right? I mean, sometimes we can drive home and go, oh, I don't even remember passing this door because we're just off in another place because we're so used to doing that. And once we get there, we know I've got access to whatever's inside of that house. For instance, if I want a glass of water, what do I do? I just go to the sink and I get a glass of water. So I can do that whenever I want. It's my home. Well, Christ is my home. He is my address. He is the place where I live because this phrase means in the Lord. And it really means sealed and locked inside of. And we know how that happened, right? We saw it in verse 13. We're sealed with the Holy Spirit of God promise and that's that's sealed in a good way not not like locked in like that's a bad like you're a prisoner no sealed like you're sealed in and you're protected you're provided for you have everything that you need there's good joy and life going on in the home he secured a home for us a place of residence inside himself so there should never be any question in our mind of how to get there right whether i have access to what belongs to me in that house and I believe some of us really need to hear that tonight. Because even though we are in him, many of us live like homeless people a lot of times. We do. Like, I don't know how to even get to my house or where it would be or if they'd let me in when I get there. Or just even say, I don't really have a home, spiritually speaking. As a believer, you're in him. You're marked. You're sealed. You belong there forever. You know, Paul prayed for us in verse 17 that we would have a spirit of wisdom and of knowledge in the revelation of him. Give us revelation, Lord, right? Of what it means to have a home in Christ. That he is our residence. We should know our address to be a filled up woman. Number two, 
She enjoys strong, healthy relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I imagine that you've seen in this chapter that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all there. They're all doing their thing, right? Now, when we think of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, we call that the Trinity, right? It's one of those mysteries, right, that God has revealed, but there's still this cloud of mystery around it in some ways. God is one, but he's represented in three persons of relationship and function and expression to us. And in this chapter that so intricately describes our fullness in Christ, we see the fullness of God pouring out on us. The Father pours out his love and relationship on us. The Son rescues us and reigns in authority and filling us up with all these good things as we're in Him. And then the Holy Spirit, He's the one that seals us and He provides the power for all of these things to happen. All three of them are high functioning all throughout this chapter of fullness. And every one of these expressions of love and work on our behalf are necessary. They're necessary for us to experience that kind of fullness of God's love. God is one God but he relates to us in three different forms and expressions. Some people, though, only relate to God as Father. Some people only relate to God as Jesus. Some people only relate to, to the Holy Spirit. Some relate to two, but not to one of them. Some, you know, it just gets all mixed up for a lot of people. But I really believe that a woman can only live and move and have her being in a place of real fullness when she is an active, daily relationship with all three because together they work in perfect holy divine unity to bless us with fullness see if i only relate to god the father and i rarely connect to the holy spirit i'm going to miss my view of the gospel because it's his work to show it to me i won't be aware of the help that i have i won't be aware of the power that he's pouring into my life and I'll start straining and striving in my emptiness. And I'll start thinking, i got to earn the favor of God. Not realizing I already have earned it in the work of Jesus Christ. That I'm already fully pleasing to him in Christ. So I'm not going to have the view I need to secure that healthy relationship with my Father God. So there's no way that I can be full in that regard. If I only relate to Jesus, I mean, how awesome is Jesus, but I'm going to miss the rich help of the Holy Spirit, and I'm going to miss the identity that my Father gives me as He loves on me. If I only relate to one and not the other, do you see how that happens? And we miss out on pieces of it, so you get that half full. You don't get the full full. In the Garden of Eden, when all of our emptiness began, our relationships with the Father the Son, and the Spirit were all severed. And each one of them have to be restored if we really want to live filled up. And there's a mystery in that because you say, but aren't they all God? So if I just call him God, right? But no, he wouldn't have broken it down this way. He wouldn't have shown it to us this way. He wouldn't have had each one of them relating to us this way if we didn't need all of them. And so, as number two says... She enjoys a strong, healthy relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. All three. All right, number three. She regularly takes in the view, right? Taking in the view. We talked a lot about that view of the gospel yesterday. Well, a filled-up woman takes in that view on a regular basis. Just like if I lived in a condo in the Caribbean every single morning, the very first thing I would do is open up the blinds, right? Because I'm going to take 
in that view, in the same way, a filled, a filled up woman is going to break open the view, like make sure that nothing is in her way every single morning so she can look at the gospel of Jesus Christ. She's going to seek it out. She's going to pull back whatever the, the barrier is to be able to see it. She can't help herself because she just wants to see. She's got to see. It's so beautiful. She's got to take it in. You know, there are parts of the gospel that are going to look the same every single day. The fact that Jesus died on the cross is going to look the same every day. And yet, you're going to look at it from a different angle as the, the Holy Spirit shows you some different things about that. And it's going to be just what you need to see that day. That's the kind of work that the Holy Spirit does. That's why it's so important that we're in active fellowship with Him. Every morning, the Holy Spirit's going to also point out some things that are new. We might not even really see him. He might be just like, do you ever show your kids, hey, look at that, look at that, but they don't really look. <laughs> the Holy Spirit might be doing that. But when we're doing this every single day, eventually he'll get us to look, right? We'll begin to see some of these things. The view is life-giving. You look at it over and over and over again. The length of it from Genesis to Revelation and all that God wants to point out to you in that gospel and you will see amazing things. But you got to pull back the curtains and look at the view. That was number three. She regularly takes in the view. Number four, she practices holy math. Okay? Now you might be going, really? What? What does this have to do with anything? What do I mean by that? And those of you who were at Fall Bible Getaway last year, one of our messages was a math lesson too. And I don't even like math, so I don't know why God keeps giving it to me this way. But there's a lot of math in the Bible, actually. Okay? Look at verse 10 of this chapter. It says, with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ. Things in the heavens and things upon the earth. Did you see the phrase, the summing up of all things in Christ? See, when I get an enlightened view of the gospel, a view that only the Holy Spirit can give us, what begins to happen in my life is I begin to sum things up in Christ. In other words, I begin to add them up, right, in Christ. Even when my life seems to be full of subtraction problems, like one loss, one subtraction thing after another, even when I'm experiencing stuff like that, I add it all up and it's full in Christ. How does that happen? It's a holy kind of math. Because verse 10 says that all things are summed up in him. Things in the heavens and things in the earth. And we know what the answer always is in Christ. There's always more. There's always more than we can imagine. And that's a truth that one day in heaven is going to come to full sight. And we're going to understand it completely, right? How everything really is all about Jesus. There's a lot of math that I do not understand. But I might have to practice it over and over again. In the same way as a filled up woman or a woman who's seeking to be filled and to position myself in this fullness of Christ. What I have to do is practice my math lessons every day. So I take the things that happen in my life every day, I lay them down, I add them up, I sum them up in Christ, and I let them get summed up in Christ. I don't let the subtractions be subtractions. I look at who Jesus is through that view of the gospel, see so many of these things work together, and they get summed up in Christ, and somehow he takes the things that are losses and he turns them into gains. I don't understand how he does that, right? It's a holy kind of math. A holy kind of math. 
The idea is as I move through life, no matter what's going on, I consider my life in Him. So I never add up the stuff of life without Him. I never sum it up outside of Christ. I never should look at things and go, this is going to turn out into a total loss in my life. How has this wreckage happened? How this is going to destroy us? Any kind of thinking like that. Because it's all summed up in Christ. And Christ is love. Christ is goodness. Christ is blessing. He does not destroy. He builds up. He redeems. He fills up. It's all summed up in him. So no matter what it is, it can look like the most devastating of things. It gets summed up in Christ and he turns it into something redemptively beautiful. Doesn't make sense to us, right? But it's holy math. And we have to learn how to add life that way if we really want to live filled up. You know, I believe that's why we see this phrase used several times in this chapter to the praise of his glory. Because when you do math like this, there is just a praise of his glory. Because he, as you're summing, that glory gets poured down into you and you just can't help but praise. Even in the midst of the most crazy losses. And I've seen people do this in my life. I'll never forget this woman named Joyce Hamner. Actually, my son is named after her. Samuel Hamner Thomas is his name. Precious woman of God precious couple in our um, town in Alabama where we lived and she was killed in a in a really bad car accident and her husband was out in this remote fishing trip like out somewhere in Montana or something I mean the whole town knew that she had passed away before he did this was before cell phones any of that and so you know um, the whole time we lived in this little town very tight community and he couldn't be reached but I remember, I will never forget her funeral as long as I live. I was on the praise team in our church, and we were, I mean, the, the, the funeral was so crowded that um, the windows to the church were wide open and people were out on the lawn. You know, people couldn't fit in. But John Hamner, her husband, he was a big, big man. And, and it's interesting to me now that my son is, I mean, really a lot like him. He's a big guy. But John Hamner, I mean, he probably had the biggest hands of any man I've ever known. But he was such a tender-hearted man. And he loved his wife. So you can just imagine the grief, the loss. I mean, talk about subtraction problem, right? But I was standing on the stage because we were leading in the in the worship service for her funeral and he was standing on the front row and we were singing great is thy faithfulness and he was standing there this huge man you know just just this big big guy and tears just like flowing down his face and yet he was singing to the top of his lungs great is thy faithfulness and that's a picture of holy math to me. The greatest loss and yet able to give the praise of his glory. Knowing that God was going to do something good. And God really did do a lot of really good things through her death. And God has restored a lot of things in John's life. God does things like that. That's what holy math looks like. It doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. It doesn't mean we don't weep, right? But we know where the glory belongs because we're doing holy math. It reminds me of one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It's found in the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk was a minor prophet. And, you know, when they call them minor and major prophets, it's not that one was more important than the other. It's just how long their books are, okay? And so Habakkuk's is not very long. And so um, his, he's called a minor prophet. But he says some really incredible things. Because 
his book is kind of hidden in there, so you've got to look for it. But I just want to read from you something uh, that he said. And he was going through so much loss. So much loss. And this is, and he lived during a time where everything was about the agriculture, right? So all your gains were from agriculture and, your, and, and the yield of your fruit. But this was a season of loss for him. But listen to what he said. He knew holy math before Jesus even came on the earth. He said, though the fig tree should not blossom and there be no fruit on the vines, though the yield of the olive should fail and the fields produce no food, Though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength and he has made my feet like hind's feet and he makes me walk on high places. Now you and I don't deal with the loss of fig trees and olives on the vines and cattle. Oh, well, everybody except Julie. <laughs> Julie has cows, right? We don't deal with that, right? But we get the idea. Right? Because most of us know loss in one way or another. But in Holy Gospel math, there's always fullness in Christ. It doesn't make sense. That's why it's Holy Math. So we know how. We know how to work those kind of problems. And we practice those problems often. We sum up the daily life happenings, the season life happenings, the moments that take us by surprise. We sum all of that up in Christ and know that he's working to bring us out in a place of abundance. It's beautiful, beautiful thing. Even for somebody who doesn't even like math, it's beautiful, all right? Number five, she reaches beyond the basic two. What's the basic two? We mentioned them this morning from verses 15 and 16, right? For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus which exists among you, your love for all the saints, I don't cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. It's faith, it's love for the saints, the basic two. It's Christianity in its most basic of forms. You have a faith in Jesus, you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Wonderful things for sure, great starting points, but there's more. If that was all there was, and that's a rival point, Paul wouldn't have written the rest of this book. <laughs> But there's more. And he's praying, he's begging for the God of heaven to give them eyes to see. It's like he was saying, I love it that I'm seeing these things in your life. But hey, I'm praying that your eyes are going to be open to all that God really has for you. This is just a starting point. Many people today express their faith in the Lord Jesus and they love other believers and they live empty. You wouldn't be able to tell from conversation with them that they're any different than the people in the world. Expressing emptiness, talking from a place of emptiness, despairing over emptiness. I've seen it over and over again, and I lived like that myself for a long while. And I even can fall into places like that and into those lies. Have a faith in Jesus. We've got people around us in Christ that we love, but we're reaching and striving and straining for all this other stuff that's not God's best. A filled up woman reaches beyond the spiritual blessing of faith and love. And they reach for those big three, which takes us right to the next one, right? Number six, she has that enlightened sight. She has that enlightened sight of the big three. Remember in verse 18, Paul prayed the eyes of our heart would be enlightened so that we would know. What are the three things? We would know the hope, we would know the riches, and we would know the power, right? And we described all of those in our last session, so I'm not going to go into all of that. But I believe having insight, enlightened sight to these three is critical 
if you want to be a filled up woman. Because these are the things that God really pours out on his girls. And see, if we are not enlightened to their value, we're going to constantly be looking everywhere else for our fullness, for our fullness, okay? And that never works. But when God has enlightened our eyes to see how much better these things are than anything in the world, they're the real deal, and that all of his goodness is contained in the midst of them, we'll yearn for these things. We'll seek these things from him. We'll reach over and we'll turn on our fountain. And that takes us right to number seven, right? She turns on her fountain often. Now that sounds obvious. We talked about that this morning, but it's not obvious. Because it's important to mention it's an ongoing thing. It's not like you turn it on once, get your cup filled up, get your life filled up, and then you're done. One day in heaven, that's the way it's going to be. <laughs> we are filled up, right? And it's never going to drain out. We'll be filled up to the brim and spilling over all the time. But for now, we live in a broken world. We get shot at from the enemy. There's holes in our buckets. There's this spiritual battle going on. The enemy's already lost, but he still keeps fighting. And so he's out to just drain us. Paul talks about this spiritual battle in Ephesians 6. I know in our small group, we were talking about that. Stephanie was preaching yesterday morning. It was so good, right? We can get filled up in the morning. And then the afternoon, the enemy shoots a hole in us and we're drained out like in an hour or more, you know? But if I know my source, then I know where to go. And I know how to just keep filling up. There's this never-ending stream. I told you earlier, I drink water all day long. I don't go anywhere without a cup of water. I even put it right by my bed at night. I mean, it is a vicious cycle because then that just makes you have to go to the bathroom. But isn't that really just what it's like in the spirit? You drink it and it gets drained out and you drink some more and it gets drained out. And, and so you just keep going back and back and back. Does it matter if you wake up in the night and you need it? You, you turn on the fountain. You get what you need from the Lord. If, if, if the enemy wakes you up with, with um, visions of just, you know, horrific things going on or fear in your heart or whatever, turn on the fountain. Just like you would reach to your bedside and get a drink of water. We turn it on often. It's a continual thing all throughout the day. And like we even said this morning, if you need to leave it running all day long, even all week long, it's totally fine. Just bask in it, right? Just bask in it. Number eight, she lives confidently in the supreme authority of Jesus Christ. What did those last verses say? He brought about in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead. He seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above. So not just a little above, but far above. All rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. He put all things in subjection under his feet. He gave him his head over all things to the church. He has that authority. And a filled up woman has her confidence in his authority. Whatever he has told her becomes a way of life for her. She's confident of that. And she knows that no one, nothing, no one can override what God has said to her. You know, I go to the gym pretty early in the morning, um, about a few days a week, at least that's the goal. <laughs> and I, I try to get there. And, and you would be surprised at how many people come to the gym at 5 a.m. I mean, you know, you can't get people out of bed to do other things, but people that are gym rats will go, and I'm not a gym rat, but if I don't work out early in the morning, it just doesn't happen. 
for a lot of reasons. But so I, I go then, but a lot of people come. And so this long line will, you know, start forming at 4.55. Now I get out of my car pretty quick because I want to be at the front of the line. And it's pretty selfish, but I have a spot where I want to stand in the class and I don't want anybody in front of me because then I'm not going to be able to get my spot. So kind of selfish, but that's what I'm going to do. It just makes me not get stressed out at 4.55 in the morning. So I get out of my car, but here's the thing. The line starts forming. The guy that is in charge to open the gym, he will not open the door until 5 a.m. Not 4.59, not 4.58 doesn't matter if it's raining, doesn't matter if it's freezing, doesn't matter if it's windy, no matter what, he is not going to open the door. Unless you are the uh, teacher of one of the classes and they have several usually that start at that time in the morning because the, the authority of the gym, the boss of the gym has told this guy, you gotta let these people in. Sometimes they'll go in a side door, but sometimes they come to the front door and they're supposed to be able to get his attention by just a quick knock on the door and he's supposed to come let them in. Now for me, I'm just like, why don't you just open the door for all of us to come in? It just would make a lot of sense, but not for him. He opens it up a little bit, they slide in, and then he closes the door and we're just all standing there. It's just the most ridiculous thing. But here's the thing, a lot of times, the guy, I think his name is Ryan, poor Ryan, he didn't know I was going to talk about him, but, and, and by the way, I mean, they, every few months they get a new one because they never last very long because who wants to have a job that you have to start that early in the morning, but he, he a lot of times doesn't hear them knock or see them because he's back there on his phone or folding the towels or whatever, and so usually what will happen, and I get a front seat of this because I'm in the front of the line, they'll knock a couple times or whatever, and then he won't, they'll go, ugh. Why does this always happen? I'm supposed to get in, you know, and I'll, I'll hear them complain. But a few weeks ago, this girl named Erin, who doesn't normally teach on that day, but she was subbing for somebody else, she walked up to the door and she knew that she was allowed in the door because she was the teacher. And so it's 4.55 or so in the morning and she just walked up to that door and she just starts this. telling you she stood there for two minutes and she did not stop and I'm just like you know you're kind of in the days anyway at 4:55 in the morning but the Holy Spirit like just spoke in my heart that's confidence and later confidence like she is like you are letting me in because I have been told I can come in here and I'm gonna get my class set up and not be late and I loved it I loved it it was so fun to watch because she was not giving up I mean she didn't even budge like pause one second I was like your knuckles are gonna be bloody girl but the Holy Spirit whispered that word confidence to me and later when I got home and I was reading in Ephesians and I was reading over these verses about the Lord and him being higher than anything he spoke to me and he said that's what it looks like when you have come to an enlightenment of the authority that I have and what I've told you is yours, you know that it's yours. And so you approach it like this belongs to me and you're not gonna tell me any different and I will have it. You don't settle for anything less. Erin was not gonna settle that morning and the Lord used her to speak to me and give me a picture again and lighten my eyes to the confidence that I really should have. If God, as the ruler of heaven and earth, has given us a position of inheritor, and, and I really believe him, then I'm going to act in accordance with that authority. And I'm going to come into the fullness that he has said is mine to have. Number nine, 
She understands she's a part of something bigger than herself. Emptiness is not an option, nor is a, a pseudo filling, a false filling from the world. And the reason for that is she understands that not only does she need to be filled up, but the others around her are needy of this fullness too, and that God wants to use her to help fill them. See, she can share in the fullness that she's experiencing because she's got more than enough to share. Because there's this supply that's just flowing through her and spilling out. Verse 23, we looked at this phrase this morning, says the fullness of him who fills all in all. And I believe when you're really filled up as a woman, you won't be able to help yourself. You'll want to help everyone around you to know that fullness too. You won't be able to stand seeing other people in emptiness. It will break your heart. And so it's not just about, oh, me, I got to get under here. But you're like, I need it. come on, there's more than enough. And we can all have what we need. You realize I'm a part of the plan of God to fill up the earth with his glory. And I want to be a part of that. And it's a joy to be a part of that. He doesn't just fill me up. He fills me up so I can be a blessing to other people. It's a call on all of our lives to be the fullness of him. It's a call on the church to be the fullness of him who fills all and all. And number 10, she lives from a place of fullness. She lives from a place of fullness. Now that might sound obvious too, but see, you can live from a place of emptiness or you can live from a place of fullness. When I was a teenager and I was just learning how to drive, I had this humongous car <laughs> that I drove. It was a hand-me-down from my mom. It wasn't even really mine, but it was the one that I was you know, allowed to drive. And it was just such a gas guzzler. And I had this little job working at a fabric store and made, you know, who knows what an hour, not much. And, and, and so I only had a little bit of money and who wants to spend it on gas, right? That is no fun, it's no fun. So I literally would put like $1.50 or two or $3 in my gas tank at a time instead of filling it up, right? I would get just enough to get me by, to like get me to school and get me to work. So I was very stingy about driving anywhere, any, anyone anywhere, because I was like, no, that's my gas. And I only have just a little bit. And it's very silly, but that is what I did. And I'll never forget one day, my sister's boyfriend, who is now her husband of many years, he looked at me and he said, if I ever see you on the side of the road, run out of gas, I will not help you. Because that is just totally silly, right? And then he looked at me, he said, fill up your tank, like that. And I was like, I, I can't, I don't have any money, you know. And I did, but I didn't want to spend it on that. Because I was stingy with it and I only thought I had a little bit. I was living from a place of empty, barely getting by, just getting enough. And that can happen whether you're talking about gas in your tank or gas in your tank, right? In your, in your life, in your spiritual well-being. And it's just silly to live like that when we have this fullness. Living from a place of fullness is wise because you've got access to, it doesn't cost you anything. We've talked about that this weekend. You can get all you need. Things are gonna continually happen. They're gonna draw upon your supply. They're gonna take what you have. But because you're continually going to the fountain, turning it on, you've got this continual supply always filling yourself back up. And it's wise because you live from a place of fullness. 
So if you see a need in front of you, you're not calculating in your mind, do I have enough to give? Do I have enough to help? It, it, do I have enough emotional energy for this today? You just pour it out because you know it's gonna come back. You know that you know exactly where to go to get it. So if a friend, your spouse, your neighbor needs something, you know you've got what it takes. And so you pour it out on them to be a blessing because there is a fountain flowing. If you pour out something, you know you know where to go to get it back. And fullness then becomes a way of life. So you respond to your own needs, you respond to the needs of other people from that perspective that I'm filled up. And so it's living from a place of fullness. Now we all have to have wisdom in that. We understand. But so often we say, I don't have enough for that. I don't have enough for that. I can't, I can't, I can't. When God's saying, just pour it out, I'll give it to you. And we're always calculating in our mind, you know, our needs first, our this, that, and, and so much of the way the church lives now and all of that to me is just a bunch of crap. I'm just telling you what I really think. I, I really do. It's not biblical. It's based on the, the, the things of this world. And, and, and we're, we're missing out. And the people around us are missing out because we are calculating from a place of what we can provide and what we can supply. And God is saying, I have created you with such a great capacity to just pour out on people and you would be amazed how I'd fill you up if we live from a place of fullness. But when we live from a place of emptiness, always calculating our needs, we're always gonna be calculating our needs. And most of the time we're gonna hold back and not pour out on people and miss the fullness for ourselves and miss the fullness for them. That's a soapbox of mine, sorry, didn't mean to say that word. But that's really probably what it is. So anyway, let's move on. We've been talking about this uh, woman at the well this weekend alongside our chapter of Ephesians. And I want to go back to her story one more time as we finish some things out and we think about what a filled up woman looks like because it appears from the scripture that she definitely becomes one. When we last looked at her story, we saw Jesus giving her a view. Remember, he told her, he looked right at her and he said, look at me, I am the Messiah. And it appears from scripture that at that moment, everything changed for her. Now we're not given a whole lot of information, but in John chapter four, we see that she leaves her water pot and she goes into the town and she tells everybody that she can find. We also find that in John 4:39, a little bit further down, it says that many of the Samaritans, the people in her town, believed in Jesus because of the word that she told them. So she just got filled up and she started spilling out on these ones. Now, when we first found her in scripture, think about what she was like. She was an isolated woman. She had a very edgy attitude. She was living in an immoral situation. She was as empty as could be. But then we see Jesus comes, he pursues her, he wants to pour out on her, he wants to lavish her and adopt her and save her and redeem her and all these things. And he offers her this living water. And she got so full that she spilled out on the people around her. Now, I have always been intrigued by her story. And I've always wished, where are the details? I want to know more about her story. Like, I want to know what happened after that. Well, last year, I actually found out some more things. I was having lunch with a friend, and we were talking about the woman at the well. And, and it was a woman that I don't really know a whole, a whole lot, know her very well. So we're just having this conversation. We start talking about the woman at the well, and she said, do you know she has a name? And I was like, well, yeah, I know she has a name, but we don't know what it is. She said, no, I know what it is. I'm like, 
how do you know what her name is? And she said, her name is Fotini. And I said, how do you know that? And she, I said, I've never heard that before. And I was pretty skeptical. But she shared with me some things. And so then I went home and I immediately went to my computer and I just started, you know, researching some of these things and I found out what she was telling me was true. In the Orthodox Church, where they name different saints of the faint, uh, of the faint, saints of the faith. Can you tell I've been talking a long time? I'm like tripping over my words tonight. I'm sorry. But just hang with me. We're almost done. But in the Orthodox Church, they would name different saints of the faint. Uh, of the faith! <laughs> Lord Jesus, help me. Of the faint. I'm faint hearted, right? I'm not faint hearted, I'm faint tired. Okay. I'm going to say this again, and we are getting it right this time. In the Orthodox Church, where they named different saints of the faith, right? <laughs> Thank you. From the early days, there's a woman who was a saint, and she's named Fotini. And we've been talking about saints all weekend, right? How we're all saints. Well, Fotini is believed to be the woman at the well from John chapter 4 who became a saint. And she's named in the Orthodox Church. And so there's some writings about her. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us these details, and I want to make that completely clear. I'm not going to share this with you as if it is scripture. But what we need to understand is there was a whole culture going on at that time. These are the words of God, and these are holy, divine, living, active words of God. This is not a book. We've talked about all of that, right? But there were a lot of other Christians and people that were writing things down during those times. And a lot of those things are very respective uh, respected writings that have been restored. Nicole and I were talking today. I mean, many of us like people like Francis Chan or Priscilla Shower, and we read their stuff. 400 years from now, okay, if, if, if Jesus has not come, those things are not going to be considered heresy that they wrote down. They're not going to be considered scripture, but their stuff is so good that people will still probably be reading it. In the same way, the stuff that is, was really, really rich, a lot of times has been preserved. And in this case, this, these pieces of information are pretty well respected uh, among theologians. Okay, So I'm sharing it from that perspective. I know this is not scripture, but just here. It, it, it is a story of someone. Perhaps it is the story of the woman at the well. I personally believe it is. So I want to share a little bit with you. So after her encounter with Jesus, the disciples baptized her, and they gave her a new name, and that was the name Fotini. Now, the name Fotini, you know what it means? It means enlightened one. Remember, we were looking earlier at the word when we said, you know, Paul's praying for our eyes to be enlightened, and it's the word Fotizo. Her name's Fotini, okay? So just like Paul's prayer, it's like her eyes have been opened. She's seen the Messiah. And we see in scripture that she did go and share with her whole town and many became believers. But what you read and find in these writings that gives us so much more information about her personal life, and I just love that because I'm a woman and I want the story and the details, right? We also find out that, that she shared about Jesus with her five sisters, Frank's girls, she's kind of like that, okay? And her two sons, and all of them got saved. And they lived during the time of Nero, and he was excessively cruel to Christians. And you've probably read or heard some things about that. But see, Fotini was filled up, right? She got filled up with the living water. So it was spilling out of her life. And so things would happen, lots of losses during this season when Nero was ruling. But she would just go back to the well, get filled up, 
just like Jesus told her, she would have a well of life springing up within her. And that's exactly what plays out in her story. At one point, we're told that Nero actually locked um, all of them in prison and he put his own daughter in charge of them. Now that would be devastating, right? You, you know, to be locked up in prison by Nero, who you know has done these atrocious things to other people. I mean, talk about loss. But you know what Fotini did? She had so much fullness on the inside of her. She shared Jesus with Nero's daughter and her servants, and all of them got saved. <laughs> they all became followers of Jesus. Well, that really made him furious. And, and I'm not going to share the details. They're in the writings, but horrific things that he did, Nero, to her sisters and to Botini, to her sons. All of them died by his torture of them but none of them ever renounced Jesus. These writings also tell us that Fotini was the last one alive. And after torturing her, Nero had her locked up in prison again for 20 days. And ladies, this wouldn't have been like prisons that we think of today. I mean, this would have been horrific places. And after that 20 days, I mean, you probably she's in rags if she even has any clothes on, right? I mean, talk about loss. Probably barely alive in a lot of ways, maybe, you know, starved and hardly had anything to drink and who knows the atrocities that had been, um, you know, she had been tortured in other ways before all of this. But he had her brought to him and he asked if she would now relent because what he wanted her to do was bow down to his idol. See, he thought that he had drained her dry, but he had not. Nero wanted her to bow, but she would not because she had found the source of living water. It's written that when he tried to get her to do that, that she spat in his face and she laughed at him and she said this, O most impious of the blind, you profligate and stupid man, do you think me so deluded that I would consent to renounce my Lord Christ and instead offer sacrifice to idols as blind as you? See, she would only worship, I love that, the one true God. The one who had introduced himself to her at the well in Samaria. She would only worship him. The one who had given her the living water that filled her up when she was probably so, so dry. She had discovered his love could not be drained dry. No matter what happened in this world, no matter what God subtracted, no matter what loss there was, she learned how to sum it up in Christ and always come out in the more. Now, hearing such words enraged him, right? And Nero gave orders to throw her into, listen to this, into an empty, dry well. And that's where she died in the year 66, surrendering her soul to God. Isn't that incredible? So 1950 years ago, this woman named Fotini, who had been enlightened to the fullness of Christ, She'd been beaten, she'd been tortured for sharing the gospel. She sat at the bottom of an empty dry well, but she was filled up, filled up with the life and love of God because several years before that, she had met the wellspring of life, Jesus at a well. Now, most of us will never face subtraction problems like that, right, in our life. We won't. We'll never face the things that Fotini and her family face, but her story inspires me it inspires me, I hope it inspires you, to see that the filling of the Lord, the living water of life, is a powerful thing. It's a mighty, mighty thing. 
If she can go through all that and not bow down to an idol, if she can be filled up in the middle of such emptiness, certainly I and certainly you, in the way we get to live, the privileges we get to live with, we can be filled up to the fullness too. See, her story inspires me to get in the flow of this love and let the Lord's love and goodness fill me up. If it's that powerful in her life, it can be powerful in my life too. I'm so inspired by her. I don't want to bow down to any idol thinking it's going to give me hope, thinking it's going to give me power, thinking it's going to give me riches. I want to be able to stand up to those things and say, no, I know a feeling. I don't need you. I'm already full. There is a love that fills, ladies. And we've been talking about it all weekend. It's a love that blessed us and chose us, right? You can say it. Adopted us and pursued us and redeemed us and lavished us and forgave us. And I'm so thankful, so thankful that God has turned on this supply in my life. In Ephesians 1, God has answered my prayer and given me that supernatural revelation. And I pray that he's given it to you as well this weekend. Each of us are probably not going to meet Jesus face to face at a well, right? But hopefully we've met him face to face this weekend. And I know we can experience that feeling across the breadth of every part of our lives, the length of all eternity. He fill us up to the height and reach down to the depths. And my prayer is that we'll know that, that we'll be able to comprehend that. So we want to go into a time of prayer. You know, we can't change everything in one weekend. We can't. But as God opens up truths before us, we can begin to establish our steps in them. And so just in a, in a, in a moment of, of conclusion of the things that God has been showing us, and we're going to have some time, special time, as a group tomorrow morning in prayer, but we want to have some individual prayer tonight. And we're just going to do this in a simple way. We're just going to make this space up here, if you would like, an altar. You know, you can make an altar wherever you want. In the Bible, a lot of times they made it in the wilderness, over by a rock, whatever. It's just a place where you're going to say, I'm going to consecrate this to God. I'm going to bow myself before him and let him know I receive the things that he wants to give. If you want to come and bow at that altar, if you want to make your space right in front of you an altar, I just encourage you in some way to position yourself before the Lord and let him know you have heard him. You're so thankful he met you face to face and you're so thankful and want to receive from him. If you want one of us, one of our staff people to pray for you, we'd love to do that. And we'd love to stand in the gap for you in this moment. Amber's just going to be having some music for that. And so we just ask that this would be a quiet time, a time of worship, a time of whatever you need for it to be, to respond to the Lord from the word that he's been giving each one of us this weekend. After this is over, we'll give you some more directions for some things that will be 